Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 71 of the Simple Life podcast. How are you doing, folks? It is, I suppose, what we consider here in the UK to be full spring. It is uh, the start of March. There is, I don't know if you can see over my shoulder, a little bit of sunshine here in the northeast. There's a few of the uh, early bird daffodils are out breaking their necks in the horrendous wind that we're still having. But it is still nevertheless uh, promising for the year ahead. You know, it's, it's getting brighter, it's getting warmer. The birds are tweeting in the morning. I'm waking up at seven and it's actually light. It feels like we're going to get a spring and a summer again i swear to god living in the north of england some days you really don't feel like uh, or some years rather you really don't feel like you're going to get a spring and summer at all um but yeah we'll transition away over into uh, what is hopefully going to be quite an interesting conversation with a good friend of mine who we haven't had here on the podcast for well 60 i can't do the math off the top of my head 68 episodes it has been since we have seen mr monk he was in uh, episode three very early adapter had an incredible conversation uh, back then which we will link in the bio below so we don't cover too much of the same ground um so yeah today's guest is a former teacher he's a father of three who consumes cannabis to manage uh, and mitigate a multitude of health conditions including myofascial pain he is the founder of the we the undersigned campaign and a published author having written the book the fight for rights and freedom of choice mr phil monk how you doing brother hey man thanks for having me on your show simper hope you're well i'm good i'm good i'm a bit under-caffeinated, which is why I think my uh, intro there was a little bit lackluster. Um, but we've got through it now, so we'll uh, move on swiftly with the show. Um, yeah, so for, I guess, people that don't really know you, I don't want to cover too much, I guess, of the same ground. Uh, we, Like I mentioned in the intro, we did a really uh, in-depth sort of look at, I guess, you as a person and what sort of motivated you to move into this uh, activism and advocacy uh, sphere. So I think I'd quite like to start off i guess this one with maybe a, a brief overview but not something too too uh, in depth yeah uh, so if you wouldn't mind updating people that don't know who you are um as, as to who you are i'll get this right eventually folks um well depends on where do you want me to start uh who am i i'm nobody uh i am phil monk um as you mentioned i used to be a teacher i used to teach um English to speakers with other languages, adult literacy, adult numeracy, and Spanish. Um, trained for many years to become proficient to teach those subjects. But unfortunately, uh, through health circumstances, uh, ended up not teaching for very long, in fact, maybe just one or two years before, um, well, first my wife, that my then wife's health spiraled, so I left teaching to care for her initially, but then my own health spiraled, and then um, through that I stopped teaching formally uh, in the mainstream education system. Um, and through my health and experiences with pharmaceutical drugs, I soon realized cannabis was the, the health remedy for me. Um, I mean, I don't know how, where do you want me to start really, Sim? I, I, where, ask me a question if you like that. I think that, that's, that's a pretty good sort of idea of kind of where you are with this. Um, so yeah, I suppose with the, referring back to the other episode, maybe let's just kind of touch base on where you are over these sort of 12 months um and so i guess is it fair to then say that you are still consuming cannabis to help with your your health uh, yes it's very safe to say um well uh, without cannabis i can barely function in essence um i had a period of time the last three months in fact without any oils um i get full extract cannabis oil and make my own capsules and tinctures with it um, for about three months, uh, I wasn't able to access it. And I felt the, I've, I'd felt then in that three months just how much improvement they gave to my life. 
Uh, I have my flowers regularly, which I smoke and vape. Um, but um, the, the oils and the tinctures and capsules really do make such a difference to my quality of life and well-being. Um, I often think of myself, um, most people would have seen um, The Wizard of Oz with Dorothy. Um, yeah. And she finds the tin man stuck in the forest because he seized up, all his joints have seized solid. And she finds his oil can and she gives him a few drops of this golden oil in his joints. And the tin man miraculously starts moving. That's basically me every morning. Uh, I wake up with what feels like full body rigor mortis. Uh, I literally have to wake up from my fingertips and my toes all the way upwards and, until my body unlocks. Uh, I've allegedly got, I say allegedly because my thoughts about the medical profession are a bit waning nowadays, but they, they finally, after six years of very many investigations, determined I had a thing called chronic myofascial pain from joint hypermobility spectrum disorder, which uh, is a connective tissue disease. They say that my collagen is genetically faulty and produces faulty collagen at a genetic level. Um, our collagen is the the elastic uh, material that holds all our body together, basically, same as the fascia. And if you, if you imagine a, an elastic band, um, a fresh elastic band, and how it's springy and tight, and then you probably have seen a, a perished elastic band that's all frayed and broken. Um, my collagen is like a broken elastic band, basically. Um, so uh, ordinary movements that people don't experience pain with, for me, are experienced as a sensation of pain. I equate it as like you imagine all of your muscles through your shoulders. Most people, they'd be smooth and lovely, smooth, glistening muscles that slip and slide past each other like this. Mm -hmm. Mine's all gnarly and broken and knotted and scarred and it just clashes. It's like two pieces of barbed wire rubbing past each other. Um, so, um, yeah, without cannabis, <laughs> I pretty much seize up and stop functioning. Um, but when I have cannabis in its tinctures, oils, capsules, suppositories, balms, vapes, blunts, bongs, every format you can possibly imagine it, I consume cannabis eat it in my food. I don't put it in my smoothies, actually. I need to start eating it as the, the vegetable it is um, and eating it in my food. Because after all, uh, through my studies and re reading of other people's studies, um, cannabis maintains homeostasis, which is uh, a biological level. Um, so for anyone that can't remember GCSE biology, homeostasis is when the body is in perfect balance and that's when you're in a perfect state of health and well-being. And it turns out... Uh, as I was reading about things, our endocannabinoid system, that's the system within our body that produces cannabinoids naturally, is fed and supplemented by the plants, the phytocannabinoids. Um, and it turns out that this endocannabinoid system, by the pharmaceutical industry's own words, is the master control system for the human body. Um, so I really should start eating it um, as well if I wish to obtain full therapeutic benefit from my cannabis. Indeed. Well, there are compounds that are not unique to cannabis, but then found in concentrations of cannabis with other minor cannabinoids. Um, so even, I mean, your average to sort of intermittent to good grower will then get trichome development on fan leaf stalks up through um, the, the sugar leaves as well. So yeah, taking that instead of then moving them into extracts or consumables and actually juicing them raw if you're growing through uh, an organic growth cycle, then yeah, you can literally 
juice them straight away, put them into food source. Yeah. And yeah, I would agree that there is a lot of benefit to consuming the acidic forms of those cannabinoids in their natural state. Cause that's, I would say indicative of what humans have been doing with cannabis for millennia. Speaking of which, you mentioned the, the acidic forms of cannabinoids. Now, many people who use cannabis and even people that don't may not be aware that fresh cannabis and the cannabinoids in fresh cannabis is in its acidic form, as they call it. Um, like THC has got a little A on its uh, symbolism, THC, a little A at the bottom. I always, Im- I always imagine it is with a little uh, Bahrain, a, can- a Canadian backpack, like a little French Canadian <laughs> accent on it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then the THC is when it's dried out, cured, and then burnt or decarboxylated, which it doesn't get you high until it's been um, decarboxylated, the acidic part knocked off. But interestingly, uh, as you mentioned, that good friend of mine, um, Sarah Godfrey, um, you should have her on your show to talk about the the acidic um, phytocannabinoids because she is becoming an expert in her own right regarding um, cannabis nutrition. And let's I've said for quite a few years since I started campaigning, in fact, I start I wrote to Professor Barnes, for example, for example, and asked many experts, can you stop considering cannabis through the lens of medicine and start looking at it through the lens of nutrition? because it should be used as a food first and foremost. And if used as a food first and foremost, in its acidic forms especially, so it doesn't cause any psychoactive activity, um, that would generate homeostasis, health and well-being. Um, that would therefore prevent disease manifesting and occurring. But unfortunately, that's not very profitable for the pharmaceutical industry, is it? Prophylactic use of things. I don't even think it's on one side of it, I guess, to be conspiracy minded. Yeah, entirely. It's not profitable. Uh, we, we can think back to, um, was it the Morgan Stanley guy? Or was it one of those institutions stood up to a, a conference and basically stated that we're not in the business of cures because they're not conducive to a healthy economy <laughs> or to words to the, that effect. I mean, the other side of it is individuals that are so indoctrinated or so in belief of their own paradigm of this pharmaceutical um modern pharmaceutical paradigm that they can't really understand the idea of prophylactic do you know i mean if if, unfortunately if you look at the average doctor they're not in the best of health and that's not making a general judgment against them but it's this idea that no we create something that that makes the problem better we don't talk about there not being problems that's the same like politicians you know, I mean, they, they, they've solved problems, yeah, 90% of the ones that they create because they don't have the conversation about maybe them being there creates the problem. Yeah, quite. Not, not in every instance. but and I suppose we should clarify, actually, because I didn't know the meaning of prophylactic the first time Callie Blackwell mentioned it to me. Um, Callie Black was the first person to mention prophylactic use of cannabis to me. And I was like, what does prophylactic mean? And it's preventative, basically. By by, and, and this is why I don't subscribe to this false narrative of, medical or recreational it's all nonsense anyone using cannabis is doing so because it makes them feel better for whatever purpose and that therefore is improving their health and well-being very few people use cannabis because it makes them feel bad very few people use cannabis because it makes their life worse most people continue to use it because it it mitigates one thing or another me it has become pain when I was a youngster, it was just stress and anxiety of daily living. I didn't want to get pissed, so I wanted to have a smoke instead. 
Um, that 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 simple health choice of not using that recreational drug alcohol, which is highly toxic to the human body, and using cannabis, which is natural and creates homeostasis within the human body. That simple health choice, you shouldn't have to be sick and dying in order to be exempt from prosecution. Um, and that's why I can't really stand this medical and recreational nonsense because there is no such thing, really. Indeed, indeed. I mean, it's luckily, it's, I've been privy to quite a few conversations and obviously, you know me, I've been very much a, a stickler for the language over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the organisations such as the CIC are working to rename their, their internal groups. For example, they're no longer going to use the term medical. They're going to try to uh, move on to prescription cannabis. So it describes okay. that the, what they, the sphere that they operate in is cannabis that is prescribed. It yes. is, uh, works in English language. It, it, it literally defines what is occurring. So then the other, the other side of this then means anything that isn't prescribed cannabis is, is cannabis or is non-prescribed cannabis. Yeah. So in, that's the, the definition in their sphere. And when we talk about it in their world, to the rest of us, it's still cannabis. So I think well, that... Sorry, go on. I, I think that's really important because we have this medical cannabis and recreational cannabis, inverted commas with a tone of voice there. Um, and what I've noticed over the years with these clinics that have popped up that are now selling prescriptions, you know, they're selling Moby Dick and Jack Herrer and White Widow and Green Crack. And these are long-standing so-called recreational varieties of cannabis that are now being marketed and sold for medical purposes. Um, when I saw, you know, Moby Dick being touted for migraine I, I thought it was wonderful because it shows that there is no such thing as recreation medical they would they they someone said to me it's to do with the quality and, and the way it's grown but there are quality issues with this prescription cannabis um and again you know when they were saying they being you know the general industry the general public the people that medical cannabis is safe and medical cannabis is okay and ethical to use, but anyone using recreational cannabis still deserves to get prosecuted. We really need to break down this this paradigm where they're saying healthy people deserve to have their lives ruined by prosecution to protect them from, well, what actually isn't a harmful Schedule 1 drug that won't last be sentencing, but turns out to be a highly therapeutic herb that's genuinely safe. So that means all prosecutions are still false, but they're still continuing to prosecute. Indeed, indeed. I mean, the the state of play, obviously anyone that, that's watched basically any of the episodes I've done over the past, uh, I don't know how long I've been doing this now, a year and a bit, year and a half, something like that, getting close. Um, the Yeah, there is no difference. The creation of the paradigm is intentionally a divisional tactic to profiteer. It, yes. is, it is to put impediments in the way of the development of a ubiquitous industry in which nobody is criminalized for their actions with cannabis unless that action is also criminalized outside of cannabis legislation. And by that, I mean theft, I mean violence, I mean, yeah. do, do you know what I mean? Tax evasion, et cetera. Yeah. Those are crimes that would then be dealt with uh, separate to this. But then yeah. in terms of the individual and their um, responsibility in the law, they would be entirely left alone to their own devices in the same which way we are currently with with alcohol or sugar, which are far more destructive far more and, and, and deadly to to human society and the individual. So I suppose then you, this knowledge that you've had of this unfairness and this inequality for a long time led you to, to found uh, the WTU. So can you talk to us yeah. about 
what that campaign is about and give us an update, I guess, on, on where it is. Yeah, I will. Um, I mean, I've touched briefly that um, I started researching about cannabis because of my own health. And I, I was about to have my arms chopped in half and shortened and then replated back together. And I wanted to know what cannabis did to bone growth. And I knew tobacco was a bone toxin because I just nursed my ex-wife through two bone fusions. So I started Googling, as you do, what does cannabis do to the human body? Found out about THC and CBD. Thought, well, that's interesting. Found out a bit more. Edinburgh University proved that cannabis prevents osteoporosis. They also proved it regulates bone growth density and development, which I was about to have bone surgery. So that was just what I needed, wasn't it, really? Uh, and then I carried on, you know, I found out that it helped with glaucoma, with cancer, with epilepsy, with pain. And I found all these research papers. Uh, as a teacher, I'd, I'd recently finished my 10,000 word dissertation. So I, I'm an able online researcher. Uh, and I got lost in the rabbit warrens of, of cannabis research um, for several years. Um, and in that time, I found the Philip Robson paper. Feel free to either find it. In fact, if you go to the WTU website research page on there, you will find um, the reference that I'm talking about. Philip Robson he was commissioned by the government in 1996 to look into the therapeutic aspects of cannabinoids. He spent two years looking into the therapeutic aspects of cannabinoids, reviewing previous literature, history, et cetera, et cetera. And then in 1998, he returned the paper to the British government stating that cannabis was remarkably safe and therapeutic, had a long history of usage with humanity, including Queen Victoria for a period pain. Time was needed to develop marketable cannabis-based products and the government should cease the criminalization of peaceful people that assuage their symptoms with natural herbal cannabis. So the government of the day decided to put that paper on the shelf in the Library of Science and Drug Misuse. Um, and they then set the author, Philip Robson, up as medical director of GW Pharmaceuticals, gave him a one-year license and said, crack on, boyo, get researching. He got researching. And then he worked for about seven or eight years without a license by mistake because they forgot to renew his license. So then GW has operated sans licence illegally for about seven or eight years when they finally realised that, hold on, they're just nothing but a bunch of criminals, same as every other grower in the country. So they post-dated them a licence and then made them legal growers for convenient legal purposes. And then they let them carry on. So in about 21-year period, this little company, British company, GW Pharmaceuticals, they developed about 138 cannabis patents, the last I read, um, patents that were for the therapeutic applications or delivery of cannabis and cannabinoids for targeted therapeutic purposes. Um, bear in mind, at the same year that this company started or uh, released their paper in 1998, my brother was arrested and put in prison for the possession of a Schedule One drug that warrants at that point I think it was Class C sentencing, but maybe Class B because it's bounced up and down for political um, purposes. Um, so in the 21 years that they've destroyed lives through prosecution of people for having cannabis in their possession, this harmful Schedule 1 drug that warrants all these uh, prison sentences, they've actually been patenting the fuck out of it in the background in as many applications as humanly possible. And then... Um, well, they've recently sold that company for £5.7 billion. So while our people, I mean, my brother, me, your relative, and, you know, the people on the street, right, while we're all getting 
prosecuted, put in prison, having our lives ruined, our children taken from us, our jobs taken from us, our cars taken from us, our homes taken from us, a certain tiny group of people, politicians and their corporate paymasters, have been able to invest or have an investment in this company that's been growing cannabis. Um, you know, skunk, the skunk psychosis thing. Sativex was the first prescribable, well, maybe not the first, Navalone might have been the first, might have been the second prescribable cannabis drug. Uh, and that was made with skunk. So, you know, the, the, the medicine that they made for MS, Sativex, is actually made with the terrifying skunk that they tell everyone's going to get psychosis from. They did offset it on a one-to-one -one basis with CBD, because CBD is antipsychotic. Um, just, just, to just to clarify, that is a cultivar known as skunk number one. Thank you. Uh, feel free to interject and correct. That's right. So, I mean, I'm enjoying in, the ride. In, keep going, keep going, man. <laughs> in, in essence, um, when I found Philip Robson's paper, it set me on fire. Mm. Literally, I became a man on fire. Uh, and I haven't stopped burning until my body broke down um, later this, well, late last year, November, December. My health has just deteriorated that much that I haven't been able to hold my phone even, which is how I've done most of my camp. I can't barely move around my house. I've become even worse than when I actually fell ill and started all this, which I didn't think would ever be possible, but it has. Um, long story short, well, they flogged that company. It now has been sold to Jazz Pharmaceuticals, I think it was, if I remember properly. I imagine they're now going to capitalise on all those patents they've developed. You'll still see cannabis busts occurring left, right and centre from the, the police propaganda pages, same as alcohol, alcohol prohibition days, uh, where they have these big bust photos to try and make the public think the police were doing their job properly, when, in fact, they're profiteering from the proceeds of Crime Act. Every plant they value at £1,000. So every bus they get, every plant is a £1,000. We'll have that in the coffers of the proceeds of crime, thank you very much, which then goes into the police pensions. So they are financially incentivized to continue persecuting cannabis consumers. But they'll let off paedophiles and rapists and murderers with very minor sentences, but they'll put the likes of us cannabis consumers either big fines or big sentences. Um, and it's all unjust. It's all just to protect their business in investments in cannabis. Um, now... You know, people say cannabis is illegal. I'd say cannabis is not illegal. Uh, a plant cannot be legal or illegal. Only us, our actions are legal or illegal. Only our actions are punishable by law or profitable in the end for somebody. So to me, it's like they, they, they are using the, or abusing the Misuse of Drugs Act to falsely maintain the prohibition of recreational cannabis so they can protect their pharmaceutical cannabis market and you've got the police busting unlicensed grows and growers and possessors because a, a prescription is you're just paying for a license to possess cannabis for medical purposes that's all a prescription is you've you've turned up somewhere you've said i'm sick and dying with x y and z you've had a specialist confirm it somebody probably doesn't know a lot about cannabis anyway who has then said you can have, have some cannabis so when the police find you with cannabis which apparently is a non-therapeutic drug, Schedule One status and Class B sentencing, oh, suddenly, because you've paid the right person, you now have a piece of paper that is your licence to protect you from prosecution. It's called a private prescription. But unfortunately, like me, there's many folks in our country that can't afford it. Um, and also, because some of it, it's a data exchange, some of it, some of it they're saying, we'll give you weed for a £5 a gram, 
you give us your data, uh, which I personally, I, I don't want to embark in that exchange either. Um, they say it's to help the NHS be able to prescribe. But ultimately, why is no one talking about stopping prosecutions? Why is only people talking about prescriptions? And it's like I've seen so many activists now, they just talk about prescriptions all the time. No one's talking about prosecutions anymore. Yeah. I mean, we totally didn't ask, answer the, the question I wanted to ask, but we, we've covered some brilliant points, and I think that's you've, you've concisely covered the... Uh, the origins. I'm gonna have to ignore that call. Sorry, guy. Um, so, yeah, you, you very accurately, I think, covered um, how the UK has got to where it is. Um, and I think actually, before then, we circle back to my initial question. I think while we're here, I want to kind of delve well, in. I'll, I'll try and touch on to your question. Your question was duly to you. All that anger made me feel this is a human rights issue, mm -hmm. and that was when I set out to find a solicitor to make a human rights challenge against the government. Spent three years. We had over 6,200 members at the end of three years. It took over a year to find a solicitor, Robert Jappy. Um, he worked pro bono for WTU, so he didn't receive any money, but the barrister did. Um, the barrister said it's going to cost loads of money. And I said, well, there's, 500, um, there's 5 million cannabis consumers in the UK. Surely we can crowdfund such a case. And they said, okay, go for it. If you're going to try, you can try it. So we spent three years gathering the evidence, which is um, the book. Uh, Phil Monk and We the Undersigned published the book, um, The Fight for Rights and the Freedom of Choice, then published with the help of Alan Buffery. Um, and that is the culmination. That's the collection of our evidence that we were hoping to present against the British government at the Supreme Court. Um, we were estimated legal fees between £50,000 and £100,000 for our costs, um, which we started fundraising in 2018. I don't think we've even managed to raise £15,000 by the end of last year. And unfortunately, at the end of last year's campaigning season, I was that broke and I had to just call it a day because the funds weren't coming in. Uh, at one point, like I said, we had 6,200 members. If 5,000 of those had pledged £1.92 a week for 52 weeks, we'd have had all the money we needed to take them to the court. £495,000 we'd have raised in one year at £1.92 a week from 5,000 members. And that allowed 1,200 members that were too poor to contribute. But for whatever reason, people didn't believe. Uh, it didn't happen. The, the, the funds didn't come forward. I went around the country raffling and trying to raise awareness to the books at Product Earth, Paradise Gardens, um, Hemp Redemption, wonderful events. If you haven't heard of them, look them up and get to them, I say to people. Um, and basically, I broke myself, and I can't break myself any further, so I had to concede defeat. You know, in, in three years, we haven't even raised 15 grand, let alone 50 grand. And then the barrister, once we'd finally got the evidence together, and I said, here you are, Mr. Barrister, have a read of that and tell us what you think. He turned around and said, well, have you got security of costs? I said, can you explain to me what security of costs means, please? And they said, in order to take somebody to court, you have to be able to prove to the court that you can pay your opponent's fees in the event that you lose. So bear in mind that we as a tiny organisation might cost between 50 and 150 grand. The government that could bring on an army of QCs and experts and barristers at £650 an hour and all that sort of stuff, their fees were likely easily going to be double hours. So we're looking at maybe between 300 and £500,000 would be the the fees required to take the British government to court to make a human rights challenge 
because the, the licensing regime that they insist upon, because the offence, as I said, cannabis is not illegal. The offence is the unlicensed possession, cultivation, distribution, or preparation of cannabis. So if you pay for the licence, those acts are legal, whereas without the licence, they're illegal acts. However, to get the licence is the tricky thing, and they won't give anyone a license, only specific people. So the licensing system is set upon the basis that cannabis is this harmful Schedule One drug that warrants Class B sentencing. But that's false. That is not true. That is not a fact. That is political um, propaganda that is not founded. So therefore, their licensing regime is unfounded the sentencing for the crimes are disproportionate and it infringes your fundamental human rights to a private life, to the freedom of consciousness, to the autonomy of health, to be able to develop your personality as you show choose, the freedom of association with your friends who believe in the same things that you do. Um, so they infringe fundamental human rights. But um, <laughs> we get told the law is the law is the law. Uh, is kind of the answer, but that is why WTU, we the undersigned, have a human sovereign right to cannabis. That's what made me start it. Um, and unfortunately, after well, 2018, we're in 2022. It's actually four years this month. So now, the four years this month, I've had to, I've got to take at least a year off now to rehabilitate myself because I can't do anything. I'm actually, I joined the CIC that you mentioned. I haven't been able to participate. I can't get to London. I can't pick up my phone. I can't open my emails. You know, I've actually become, I've ground myself to the to death, basically, you know, into the earth. Uh, I can't do anything anymore. Uh, I was trolled to death by um, a group of people that uh, determined that I had stolen £10,000 from sick and disabled people uh, and went around spreading rumours to that effect. Uh, I got uh, a volunteer accountant to help clear my name and give the transparency to the fundraising. So what the trolls did was they, they approached her, tried to scare her half. When that didn't work, they then phoned her employer, trolled her employer, told her that she was helping some illegal cannabis dealer that was stealing money from sick and dying people. Um, so that nearly got her to lose her job, which could have made her lose her home and her family and all that sort of stuff. So she then pulled out from being the accountant um, which the only good thing that's come from that actually is another person who had seen me speak at Hemp Redemption um, saw my live video announcing that we'd just lost our accountant because these trolls that have made us, we've had our group deleted three times now, I think it is. Um, I haven't got the health or the ability to keep rebuilding and keep going. Um, but the only good thing that's happened is that this lady said, I'll help you get the books in order. I can do a bit of spreadsheeting and that sort of stuff came round and a little bit of romance has bloomed. So you know, there's a bit of love in my life, which I never expected. So I was, you know, this campaign cost me my marriage in essence. So um, I'm really grateful that the trolls actually have brought a bit of goodness into my life inadvertently. So I'm now grateful to the trolls. I've now got someone to help me finalise the books to try and get all of the fundraising and spending transparent so people can see that I haven't stole anything. And then even yesterday, I had someone writing on my personal page that, £15,000 being stolen from the community and put in Robert Jappy's pocket, um, which is an insanity because he's operated pro bono and never received a penny for anything he's done. Uh, and it's just the mentality of people, many of whom haven't made any effort themselves to make any change for anybody's benefit, 
go around pointing fingers and poking holes and drilling holes in other people's boats, basically, to, to sink ships. Um, it's a bit heartbreaking after so many years um, and to see the potential, you know, not just the individuals in the group. I approached through the expos countless businesses, gave them an opportunity to support a case that would have smashed open the market for all of them. Instead, they're all operating in this narrow, highly restrictive legal system that is all based on lies just for political um, prof profiteering. When if they'd actually got behind us and helped us get that evidence before a Supreme Court and jury to get it objectively reviewed, uh, we could have actually smashed that legislation so cannabis was treated in a similar way to alcohol and the market would have bloomed and everyone would have grown. I appreciate and can see the vision, um, but I can also see why there would be opposition to it in the, the system that, this might sound hyperbole, but the system that enslaves us will never be the one that frees us. No, you're do, right. Do, 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 do you know what I mean? So I, I believed in you and I've supported you and always um, had you had your back with things, you know, whenever we spoke sort of publicly together, we, we agree on most most subjects and where we don't, we are amicable and, and respectful. Mm -hmm. and I've always appreciated that. Um, but yeah, I've grown, especially over the past couple of years to feel that it's not through the established, like we can't make that change entirely ourselves. I believe mm -hmm. that we can infiltrate and sort of um, change influence and change the tide of the movements that are already occurring. Do, do you know what I mean? And so I think yeah. that a lot of people are genuinely disheartened. I had uh, Carly Barton on recently, actually, uh, CanCard UPA. Um, yeah. And we discussed the whole UPA thing and why I felt there was so much, such distrust in the entirety of the community. And it's that people felt angry and bitter and let down. And I myself was, was part of that. And it's in a lot of ways, I still am very angry that we stood in the cold. They congregated us together. People from yeah. all communities and all cultures and all parts of, of, of cannabis uh, were represented in the UK. And we were promised that behind those closed doors, they would fight for us, for our right to self-identify, our right to grow our own, our right to live freely and to choose how we engage with this plant. And then the bastardization of a policy that was then created behind those closed doors and in, in private chambers was was such a betrayal of those people and i think that a lot of people are still processing that because not too long after that uh, folks i used the, the word i shouldn't use on this podcast which is interesting considering i can swear infinitum and mention any human act and whatever else but we'll leave that a bit of censorship over there um but yeah prior to kind of the let's call it the collapse of our pre-existing paradigm and the yeah. movement into this new world um yeah people were still really processing that and then this same sense of betrayal by governments, this same sense of betrayal by institutions, this distrust, this dishonesty, I think is then further metastasized within uh, our, the zeitgeist of our culture. And that generally people feel there is a grand conspiracy around every corner. And I'm not one to say that there isn't. Don't, don't, you know, I, I won't remember where I started with this with my tinfoil hat. You know what I mean? And I yeah, still will come first, up with some things in private. Thing I of you actually was that one. Yeah, it was too, yeah, that was the, the good old days. What a fucking nut job. And now, now <laughs> I realise I, I feel like wearing one all the time too. Um, interestingly mentioned conspiracy there, mate. Um, there's a few C words we shouldn't mention. It used to be cannabis and cunt, but they're both acceptable now. Um, 
interesting. Um, like I said, this is a human rights thing in my head, wasn't it? Corrupt governments lying to the British public for years. I mean, lying through the teeth. The media, controlled media, I tried to get in the media with news. I mean, I had a six-hour interview with ITV and they sat there jaw-dropped and they reduced me to a three-second soundbite because the British public couldn't cope with it. Uh, or they couldn't cope with the British public knowing more likely. And that was about the cannabis conspiracy because cannabis prohibition has been a conspiracy between the political and corporate elite. They have lied to the public through the main media repeatedly over and over again, exaggerating the risks of cannabis to justify their legislation to impose controls upon our lives. Mm. That being cannabis causes psychosis, it's going to drive you all mad, so we've got to put you in prison to protect you from it. Um, now, there is some truth to that. Um, Harvard University, clearing the smoke, have a look on WTU research page. Um, they found that um, they said um, cannabis can induce temporary psychotic schizophrenic episodes in individuals who have a genetic predisposition or a family history to psychosis, schizophrenia, uh, or they started using cannabis at a prepubescent age while their brain was still underdeveloped. Um, and they found that um, it might be like one in 4,000 people might have a cannabis-induced tr temporary transient um, psychotic episode. Now, we need to flip that figure and flip the paradigm because what that literally translates to is we have to de destroy the lives of 3,999 people with prosecution in order to protect one person from a potential transient psychotic break in, induced by cannabis um, so that's where the law is disproportionate you see it's highly disproportionate because should that should 3999 lives be destroyed to protect one now i'm going to relate this now to current um illness that is traveling around that is in the main media that we are told is a deadly disease now, I'm not going to dispute whether it's deadly or not. I would just simply raise the question to what percentage of the global population specifically is it deadly? Now, is it 1%, 2%, 99%, 100% similar to cannabis? Is it one in 4,000 people type of thing? Uh, and it seems to me after, because uh, we came out of an expo into a lockdown, if you recall. I don't know, maybe um, I'll say it for your listeners as well. Uh, I was actually at the NEC uh, CBD Expo. We're just in the WTU seed bomb, actually. And that's worth you finding out for your viewers, that is. It's on my page if you wanted it. Um, I, I, I was invited to talk at the NEC, uh, the CBD Expo, uh, and I had this dull and boring teachery type presentation prepared. And uh, I was actually in a state of malnutrition at the time pharmaceutical drugs had just nearly killed me for the fourth time with side effects uh, a liver cancer scare they put it down as uh, and that was zomorph um, the drug and, and i could barely eat i'd lost all appetite so i was wasting away and i was just nibbling on seeds and nuts and raisins like a little bird and i'd had a pack of seeds from my local supermarket uh, in which i noticed there was golden linseed pine seed um, sunflower seed and hemp seed so these were described as, as nutritious snacking seeds. And they were, they are nutritious. Uh, cannabis seeds are highly nutritious. They've got all the omega-3, 6 and 9s in the right concentrations for human absorption. Far better than fish oils, for example. So 
I had this inspiration to do a demonstration live on stage, a live planting demonstration, because it's the act, the act of the unlicensed um, germination of the seed and the sowing of the seed. So I, I did a live sow on the on stage and I invited other people to come and get cups of soil and take some of my seeds out of my snack bag and join me in my criminality. Um, and it was a, a wonderful uh, demonstration of how ludicrous the law is because this seed that cult cultivates into a lovely plant that can be highly nutritious makes me a criminal if I grow it. Um, so we walked out of that expo into a bloody lockdown and I took it dead serious. I took my children out of school. I stopped my house up. I locked us down about four to six weeks before the British government did. That's how serious I took it. I've grown up on zombie films. I know what a pandemic's all about, especially a deadly pandemic. Anyway, interesting, deadly pandemic. You can't have a pandemic that's not deadly until this one. This is the only pandemic in history that is a non-deadly pandemic. It's a case-bound pandemic with tests that aren't fit for purpose and that are highly inaccurate. So the whole thing has been a monumental fraud against the global population. Mm. I still think it's it's unfair in the semantics of the language to say that it's not been a deadly pandemic. I think it would no, have I would to agree. Be... It, has, it has been a deadly pandemic. I'm not... No, but, but, no, but, no, lived, if, you know, if you look, when I say that, sorry, forgive me, let me clarify my sentence specifically. By that, what I mean is, if you look at the definition of the term pandemic pre-2019, it involved uh, widespread disease and death right then 2019 occurred and the powers that be uh, redefined the meaning of pandemic removed the word death out of the meaning and put the word cases of illness in instead so the the meaning of pandemic the actual definition of pandemic was changed for this pandemic to no longer involve wide case death. So yes, death is still occurring, but not widespread at pandemic proportions in the traditional definition of the word. So is yeah. What I'm saying. yeah, okay, yeah, I get what you're saying there. So I'm not I'm saying just... people didn't die, because people did die. And yeah, I yeah, just, want, just want to clarify that, because again, it's, it's, an it's still because it's so new, it's an incredibly contentious subject. Um, we obviously talk of cannabis and drug policy and we have a good 60, 70 years of, of grandfathering in there of, from, from the, the initial uh, onset of the, um, the subject matter. You know what I mean? Whereas this is very much still very fresh and things are, are very uh, change, changeable and raw, yeah, to such a degree that, as I've said, I'm having to chop out two sections of this because yeah. you and I have both said the dreaded C word. Um, there's something I wanted to jump back to uh, that yeah. I meant I meant to grab you on, but we were moving so fast with subjects. <clears throat> so then the future of WTU then is obviously to bring in uh, this accountant to create a transparent books. What is then the intention um, with sort of the, the WTU, its part and its direction? Well, the monies that, that were raised that remain in the fund, um, there was 5,000... 900 i think it was left in the solicitor fund um uh so we've started using that for other people's cases so there's a lady called selena stein um she was prosecuted for cannabis driving offense that she defended herself in court challenged it and went on to appeal that appeal is now becoming a judicial review uh and the wtu has fund i think 940 pounds we've pledged to her fund to start her judicial review 
that may cost up to £5,000. So it could be that the rest of the funds raised end up funding that judicial review. Um, at the moment, they are being held in INCE's um, solicitor's holding account, not in Robert Jaffe's pocket, as some people wrongly accuse. Um, and it's been held there until it's determined what to do with it. Um, I know I can't continue as I am. I have to put my health first, which is what I'm now doing. Um, if I became able again to do anything, then the fight continues. The fight isn't over. I'm still, I won't, I won't use the word advising or helping, but supporting, I think, four people at the minute um, who are challenging their charges and, and defending themselves. So, and that's using the uh, WTU and CDAR future and fact card information that we've gathered. I'd advise your listeners to look at www.factcards.co.uk. That's the culmination of WTU and CDAR futures collaborative efforts uh, and puffing cannabinoids. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and that is our gathering of data against the legislation. Um, Someone that I'm actually helping at the moment, helping, supporting, um, you know, they're being told by their barrister, the judge will just disallow all of this evidence and say it's not evidence. Um, and the, this, like you mentioned about the institutions being that corrupt, um, it seems the judiciary is that corrupt. They did get a 60% pay rise, bear in mind, in the year that our nurses couldn't even get a 1% or 2% pay rise. So, you know, they have been well looked after by their government paymasters. So it's no wonder whose side they kind of rule in. But um, it seems that judges don't want to deal with this. They want to just say the law is the law is the law and not actually deal with the facts as the problem. The issue is, <laughs> I've had first-hand experience of this over the past 12 months. I've been in a few courtrooms uh, across the county helping a few people. Uh, we don't say helping. It's, it's, the, it's, the, wrong, it's the wrong thing because I'm, I'm in no way legally trained. I've literally yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've stood, stood as Mackenzie friend and, and been there to morally. Sorry, guys, there's a lot of feedback uh, in the mic and the headphones there. Um, yeah, to morally support th these individuals in that instance. I'm not there in a professional capacity whatsoever, but I have seen then firsthand how this goes down. The judge gets to set what is fact, what is admissible in that courtroom yeah. so prior to a jury prior to any point of there being the yeah. commencement of the trial you will go through these moments of pageantry where then you are supposed to present evidence and anyone that has observed and, and looked through yeah the wtu uh the cedar future fact card through any of sort of the stuff that outlaw and others have, have produced that is all true it's all real factors in, in our reality, but in a courtroom, it's whether it is then admissible or not. I've, I've watched an entire, what was it reported as in the courtroom, a compendium of information, factual information, even repeated back by the judge as factual information that was not deemed admissible, therefore could not be presented as an active defence. So therefore that individual in the circumstance had to move towards uh, mitigation. You know, they were forced ultimately anyway to 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 go down a different route at the 11th hour. But the way that that, let's say the pageantry of it, the mm -hmm. the, the process was highly cor corrupted. I mean, it, even to just watch them, it, the contempt in, in each of their eyes the, with the CPS to watch them question, like, well, why should we have to prove anything? Yeah. It's it's cannabis. Therefore, it's it's. And that's where they stand with this. So we, everything that the WTU, the fact card, the seed our future, that anyone else has done, 
is is truth and relevant but the point is the law is the law when it's the law and what i mean by that is once it is enacted you don't have to prove its reason for its its enactment we moved away from uh the law that we had of common common law and the, the law of the land from the magna carta uh, um of the history of the of this uh, this country into acts and legislative law in what the 80s and since then basically anything that stands as an act is self-evident the evidence for the crime being committed is the fact that it's a crime and that is criminal and that's exactly what i i understand and the wtu was seeking to do and what i hope that in some way we can explore that mechanism i don't think it's the only way to get us across that line but i think it's a good way to gain national attention to highlight the way yeah both of these realities are true the fact that they're saying it's illegal therefore it's bad is true to them and in their world but the fact that we have overwhelming anecdotal and scientific evidence that now shows that cannabis not only isn't the psychosis, uh, the addictive psychosis inducing substance that they state it is, it's not this dangerous uh, herb that's going to poison and kill people en masse. You know, it's not the, the great corrupter of youth as they present it. It's, it's a fucking plant. It makes you wonder how long they can keep it up for, doesn't it? Well, then looking. Looking at Boris's 10-year plan. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, obviously last December, for people that are not aware of this, I'll uh, make a point to share this uh, below. The Boris Johnson announced recently a 10-year plan to tackle uh, severe drug users or drugs users, as he kept putting it in an interview that I saw on uh, Sky News around the time, um, to deal with 300,000 of them that are apparently causing half of the inquisitive crimes and half of the murders in the UK which is a pretty hypable statement, I think, and not really defensible. He said he, they were going to then put forward £300 million over the next 10 years, and they were intent on taking away passports and driving licences of middle-class drug users. I suppose that's why he won't have to give up his licence and passport then, because he's an upper-class drug user. <laughs> exactly. Semantics of language. This is why it's important, people. So he's all right then. As a known cocaine user, he doesn't need to give up his license and passport or even his job because he's upper class. They can do what they want, can't they? It's, it's, it it's interesting because he can re rehabilitate. He can state that previously I have consumed cocaine, but then that doesn't that shouldn't be used to prejudice him. If then an officer pulls him over and is going, oh, well, this man's admitted previous drug use. Oh, suspicion yeah. section 23, sir, we're going to search you now. They would never consider that route. But then, yeah, exactly. Somebody on the other end of that uh, class pendulum in the lower classes would definitely be marked yeah. with that for 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah, yeah totally, totally. Um, and also that statement doesn't mention what they're going to do with the lower class drug users. We, I, I think that is insinuated to be the problematic drug users. Well, that was the other thing I was going to discuss because, well, I'm about to make reference to an organisation that I no longer have any uh, faith or, or credibility in myself. Um, but it's not to say the research isn't valid. It's the World Health Organisation. Uh, I'm not sure if it was actually funded by some megalomaniac uh, philanthropist at this point when this research was done. So I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure the date of this research maybe six years ago, um, they found, who that is? Um, who? Eight, Sorry, I, I, who? Felt the need, I felt the need to try yeah. and do that. The, 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 uh, back the and forth comedy organisation <laughs> looking at this concept of problematic drug use and drugs misuse, but problematic drug use specifically. And their research found that 
85% of global drug use is non-problematic drug use. And between 10 and 15% of all global drug use, only 10 to 15% have problematic drug use. That means the overwhelming majority of all global drug users are non-problematic drug users who can continue their lives quite well, which raises the question of proportionality again of, of why are they being prosecuted. But mm -hmm. you and I both know it's about controlling consciousness, not about safety and well-being of society. Oh, yeah, it'd be argued to be social control. I'll just clarify that 10 to 15% is a, an overall average across the board of substances. Uh, yeah. Obviously, some have much higher than others. You'd be interested to know that I do believe nicotine currently again scored in uh, in those statistics as a higher a substance with a higher propensity for dependency than heroin, which wow. yeah. which again mentally when you think about it makes sense. But then when you really think about it further, really doesn't make sense. Why then can I mean you you see uh, the image in your head of a needle in in the back alley yet boxes of cigarettes littered everywhere. Yeah. One of these substances is also a highly therapeutic compound that people use to yeah, disassociate and escape from the pain and trauma of, of life. The other, I suppose, is, but it also induces cancer and, and causes a multitude of, of problems, kills millions of people every year. It's, it's weird the, um, the perceptions that we've, we've, we've grown to have of different, different compounds and different substances. It, it really is, yes. But I mean, cannabis scores, I believe, on that somewhere of eight to nine percent. Yeah, it's about that. Perspective. Yeah. So I think heroin, alcohol are around in the forties. Cokes, yeah. late thirties. Uh, I'm trying to pull this. It's been a while. I can actually see where I'm sat reading this. So much as me reading the statistic in my head, but I think they're they're about accurate. I'll uh, I'll make a point mm. to to include that in. The yeah, I think it was nine percent cannabis users become dependent. Was it fifteen percent of alcohol users? And 39% of cocaine. I can't remember actually. Alcohol's higher. Alcohol is yeah. higher. Um, it's interesting. Again, alcohol is one of those things that, I mean, it causes, it's what are they reckon, nearly 10% of deaths in the UK are attributed to it, which is nearly twice the global average. So 5%. That means one in 20 deaths globally are directly related to the consumption of alcohol. I mean, and again, that is a ubiquitous industry because of the the, and that, the, the, ben, the beneficial negative consequences. And by that, I mean the stupefaction of a population. You know, cannabis is, sorry, alcohol is classified as a neurological retardant. It yeah. slows uh, interactions between neurons and over time will actually uh, reduce connectivity between certain hemispheres in, in parts of the brain. I it's can't imagine why governments want their people to be drinking alcohol, can you? It's interesting, though, because they're so detached from it that Westminster has 12 subsidised bars. I mean, you had recently, uh, what was the name of that woman? The civil servant. She was put in charge of party gate investigation. Oh, um, I, can't, I can't recall. Gray, something Gray, is it? Um, Susan Gray? Susan Gray, is it, or something? Yeah, another one you mean. Yeah, Don't yeah, worry, I, Susan I Gray is going to do an investigation. We'll be okay. That's but but yeah, but one of the findings that she came with with a preliminary... Um, uh, statements that were allowed to make because obviously there was that faff with the Met Police about what yeah. could and shouldn't be out in the public sphere. She stated that the culture of alcohol consumption within Westminster needed to change. And so again, we, we know that there are countless studies that, that is, we, again, we know of the connection of uh, ubiquitous and continual alcohol consumption and binge drinking on the hippocampus and the amygdala in areas that promote uh, empathy and connectivity, you know, things that when they are dampened and they're not as uh, stimulated uh, as other areas can lead to aggression, can lead towards quite selfish, egoic, 
you know, hedonistic and narcissistic behavior. And politics naturally does that anyway, because that is the mm-hmm. nature of, of the beast. You combine these two things together and you chuck in a bit, sprinkle a bit of cocaine over the top yeah, of that. You, for disaster. You, you, get, you get coca ethylene uh, when you yeah. co- combine those two substances, which basically makes them feel invincible and like gods. So they're quite happy to jeer at each other back and forth after mm-hmm. a few pints around a business meeting in the morning. Yet they then look at us and, and they speak of our culture of drug use. This and it is a sinister. This like we're criminals because we choose to consume substances, not that because we choose to consume substances we are criminalized. Yeah, quite. It's the hypocrisy that blows me. Um, and they think that you know prosecution is going to help close down county lines. The only way to close down county lines is to open licensed shops. It's Hydra. Every one they cut off, they create two more. Yeah, it will do forever. Um, until the people that are consuming have an alternative place to purchase from. So once or, or, or until also you challenge the socioeconomic issues that push people towards escapism through narcotic consumption. You know, and also the, the people running the lines, they're there through desperation and poverty quite often. Um, yes, yes and no. I mean, we're starting to see in some regions uh, almost a class system within drug dealing. So uh-huh. you've often seen, we know, we've known for quite a while that the upper classes like to consume a lot of drugs, but yeah. you're, not, you're now seeing um, more affluent drug dealers that are then smarter with their money, with things like crypto and, and, and investment and obviously deregulation continuing under conservatives in this country. Um, the, the models that are the ideas that are pitched for county lines in the public sphere, I would say, are not necessarily representative of the actual reality. Mm-hmm. So, so I would say, yeah, they are fighting that war, but they're intending to lose. If you then look at the regions they target, why are they targeting them? And they've been historically mining communities. They've been historically, you know, labor voting communities. They've been historically, you know, typically left wing liberalist, ideal, uh, idealist individuals. Do you know what I mean? And so if there is a, you're seeing class politics played out in the drug war more and more now. And like I said, even within the hierarchies of drug dealing themselves. So this idea that, it's, it's people on the lowest level and then have this class mobility isn't necessarily as true. Yeah, you still get your Scarfaces and your boys that get in and make your bank, but there's still glass ceilings. There is still mm. levels within this and it's getting ever more sophisticated because it's, people are feeling it's getting ever closer towards an end of the war or at least a way that they can make money legally from the war. Yeah, there's too much of that want going on really rather than stopping the prosecution's aspects. I suppose I just feel that bit more than any you know how can the prosecutions be continuing um i think it's, that's it's it's, it's, it's it's much larger if imagine you can't make your citizenship fear you so you run the uk right now again it's the nixon the nixon advisor quote you know the john ehrlichman uh quote and he's speaking of uh starting the war on drugs under nixon and saying that um, we knew that the war on drugs was bogus, but at night after night, uh, by associating sort of uh, blacks with heroin and the, the hippies in the anti-war left with cannabis use, we could demonize and vilify them uh, on the evening news and raid their yeah. meetings and stop them basically connecting. It's that same mechanism because then anyone that will then have a kind of anti-establishment ideas or thoughts or even unionizing within certain uh, businesses and industries, you would then typically have more of an inclination and attitude towards or an acceptance of taking drugs. Then when you take things like cannabis or MDMA or natural psychedelics, you have a, 
an increased empathy and increased compassion. And mm. yeah, then from that, you will have an idea of going, wait, I am willing to have less personally if it means that others don't suffer. That is the single most dangerous ideology. We've been at war with that for nearly two centuries. You look at what's going on now with the, the Cold War II, effectively, and the way that's being played out through the lens of nostalgia in the mainstream media is just another way of showing up, I don't know, a, a broken narrative so that they have some semblance yeah. of control. That's what it all comes down to. And that's what this whole recent situation has made me realise, just how it's like we're living in one great big bloody circus show um, and we've got a load of puppets prancing about telling us what's what and what to think and none of us know who's really pulling their strings or although I think nowadays actually we might know who's pulling their strings um, it seems to be becoming a bit more transparent as to who's the puppet master and who's the puppet nowadays um, it's again we like to, to think that but even that feels like when Neo in the Matrix realises that the one is a part of the the equation it is part of the matrix the act of rebellion was was equated for in the system so it then almost to me again that's maybe just my conspiratorial and paranoid brain of going if we're allowed to know anything in any which way it's because we're allowed to know it i was about to say exactly that do, 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 you, know, know, do you know what i mean so it's, there's, there's, you look at forbes and their list of the richest people and whatever it's like pfft, Come on, folks. They're the ones we're allowed to know. They're the ones who have gone, yeah, you can put my name out there. There are people that exist in organizations that, that are not on the fucking internet. Do you know how much bank you have to have to not have a digital footprint? Do you know what I mean? We think of things like, oh, like Google and Alphabet and go, oh, God, and Microsoft and these are all dangerous things. And then you're like, well, yeah, but where do you look at the people like Vanguard and BlackRock? And then when you look at the people who invest into that, and again, those names don't exist. They don't have LinkedIn accounts. They're not on social media. They're not stupid enough to connect to any of this shit, yet they own and operate the entirety of our lives, the entirety of our world, and yet we're not allowed to even know they exist. Apparently, so again, they own 86% of the world. Well, even then, that's that's probably based on the numbers that we're allowed to know. It's, yeah, yeah. Again, it's, it's still just so... If anything that I've learned, I think, over these few years is to really just kind of almost treat life like I'm three hours into a very strong LSD experience. So I can't quite trust anything, but that yeah. isn't necessarily a reason to be afraid of it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just kind of like, okay, let's roll with this shit. Let's see where we go. And so I think some days it's overwhelming and yeah, it is just sensatorily like Jesus Christ. But then other days it's like, all right, everything's like, I'm, I'm the dog, that meme of the dog in the house on fire. And I'm just like, it's, it's good to know that I know nothing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and to feel like I'm not being like programmed with such an, an end of like an apocalyptic sense of fear that the world's going to end from one cataclysm or another, or that some celebrity's life is actually going to affect me or whatever other piece of crap is going on in the world. Like I do pay attention, obviously, and I do ingest this information, but I feel quite humbled to have arrived or at least be in a point with this of kind of going, well, yeah, I've done enough drugs to know when I'm tripping. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, a very interesting stage in human history, I feel we're at right now. Um, Never felt more a part of history. There's like, I remember yeah. as a kid, a kid at nine, watching 9-11, like being the pausing school and as running up to the residential yeah. block and looking at it and being like, this changes some shit. But yeah, like recently, I've, apart from that, I haven't felt it for a long time that it's like, ooh, this is this is this is something we're going to remember for like 20 30 40 50 years we're going to be really talking about this 
Oh, hopefully uh, in, in the past tense. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, depends on which uh, theories you listen to and believe in, I suppose. Um, yeah, there was the old Agenda 21 that was started a long time ago. It seems to have kind of unraveled in 1920 and 21. And there is the Agenda 2030, which makes you wonder, is that going to happen in 2030? So I'm quite interested to see what's going to happen in the next eight years. Um, it's why I've kind of determined I've got to rehabilitate my health. Uh, I've got to focus. I've spent the last seven years fighting for the people's rights and not looking after myself in the slightest. I'm, I'm already exercising my rights. I'm not fighting for my rights. I'm already exercising them, uh, regardless of bullshit laws. But, um, you know, um, the corruption, the globalist corruption is that deep. This is all insignificant. We're all just fucking wasting our time. We need to focus on our futures and how we're going to fucking survive the next round of the coup that the globalist agenda has got coming. Um, and if people think that's all nonsense, conspiratorial stuff, well, they're welcome to think that, I suppose. But they want to get out there and get reading and get watching and get studying and, and learning because it's not a conspiracy. It's it's outright in your face. God's honest truth. When you've got Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum bragging, telling how he has insinuated his protégés into governments around the world and he lists Justin Trudeau and Putin as two of his protégés that have gone through the Young Global Leaders School, um, you know, we are just watching the greatest puppet show in the world at the minute. Um, yeah, brace yourselves, folks. I reckon the next fucking eight years are going to be rough fucking ride. Really do. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, I suppose, yeah, we could go all kinds of ways of conspirat uh, conspiratorial conversation here with, with what's going on there. But I think all people need to do is look at the trucker protest. In, in Canada, again, without sort of picking a side, if even you want to believe in sides, because I ultimately don't. I think there is, what is it, the, the, say the three truths. Uh, there is your truth, their truth, yeah, and the, fuck, and the, fucking, and the yeah, fucking truth. Yeah, right, and ultimately, we haven't known the fucking truth in a very long time. We are one bunch of people, and I say we in the grandest collective, largest tent sense. So we are everybody that isn't part of a very small cabal and in the, even in this cabal i'm still talking tens of thousands of people of individuals that even whether they're conscious or not conscious to it seek through such narcissistic and psychopathic behavior to own control and trade and safeguard in their own vision the world into a future as they design it without understanding one simple concept and idea that no one group of individuals no one person can ever know collectively what is right for us whether it be in the cannabis community in the UK about how we move forward with our legislative changes or whether it be to what humans should do to deal with the inevitable uh, climate changes that we're seeing around us, whether they be determined to be through the action of, of man or consequential through uh, the cycle changes of the universe as we observe. And that isn't me denying climate at all. It's just me leaving a little bit of a caveat open there for everyone's belief because ultimately it's, it is that. It's belief in, in the grand... Hey, hold on, brother. You're, you're welcome to... Not believe in climate change, by the way. Of course, I, don't, yeah. I do not doubt that. No. I, I do not. I, do, I am welcome to not believe in in anything. But what I'm saying is, there is to not try and be too controversial. But I'm Curiously just, I'm enough, that you mentioned the con the climate change uh, aspect. Interestingly enough, that is what I see as being the next thing that will be exaggerated to remove the rest of our rights. 
Uh, we've had this temporary reprieve of returning of our rights. I don't think it's going to be around for long. There'll be some other something else to scare us all, and they'll have to take our rights away to protect us all over again. I think yeah, there's something is going on, and I think it it started with the ubiquity of smartphones, and then basically there was a period when Google at one point removed kind of do no evil from its mantra uh, when it ended up restructuring and the Silicon Valley, I think, kind of lost its own vision and it became less about connecting people and more about controlling and the tools that they created for surveillance and for social engineering and control that we saw uh, briefly sort of come to fruition through things like Cambridge Analytica. You know, we mm. were allowed to observe that momentarily and they're going, oh, no, that's what we do every day. You're not allowed to know our brand, but I'll go away. And so many of these different events have occurred where we've briefly seen what is, is happening in terms of the sophistication and the level of, of depth that this matrix that we live under, and I say that in the, the surveillance digital state that which they're trying to move us into with meta and everything else in, in VR and all the rest of it with augmented reality. And I think that we've lost that, the outrage that comes from an analog existence. Do you know what I mean? That when you, you stop with the screens for a bit, you go somewhere else and you think about, you have an abstract thought and you think about life right now and you get to feel the outrage again. You get to feel that disgust. You get to feel that sense that how did we go from all of this to these, these dips in, as you said, as our freedoms, our basic rights, did we sign away and not only sign away our own, but then condemn others for, mm-hmm. for trying to, to, to express their own freedoms. And I think that in whatever side of the fence, if again, there has to be a fence you fall on, is indicative and should terrify us enough to realize there's something wrong with humanity. If again, we can allow one group of individuals to formulate the narrative and then force others into submitting and kowtowing to that narrative, that mechanism alone, regardless of how it's expressed, is dangerous. Interesting you mentioned narrative (laughs) because uh, I did mention briefly old Klaus Schwabi boy in the World Economic Forum and the global young global leaders and all that. Well, not only does he feel that we have to have a great reset, which is what this has all been about, allegedly, but he's also started the great narrative. I'm not sure if he you've would. heard of that. Um, and I think it's about four weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago, a bit longer he met in Abu Dhabi, I think it was, with the Saudi princes and stuff. Um, and he was telling them that he feels that they all have the the responsibility to rewrite the blueprint for the future of humanity and set the great narrative so you look on the british government website fourth industrial revolution you look at its language you listen to the language used by our prime minister and his um, subordinates and it is the language of the world economic forum and it is the language used by other prime ministers and presidents around the world that are also using the same language of the same forum therefore it, it, it speaks for itself. Wake up. Uh, and this, this, this current, um, I won't mention specific countries and things because of censorship, but this, this current um, conflict that is being publicised in the news, which I'm not going to claim to know anything about at all. I don't. But I know one thing. I don't believe anything that is being published by any mainstream outlet whatsoever, no matter what country it's from. Because they've just lied for us all for the last two and a half years. So why and they've lied to us for the last decades about cannabis. So why don't people think they're going to be lying to us about this? And when I see Klaus talk about Putin as one of his 
proteges and Trudeau was one of his proteges and Biden and all these other people, they're all part of the same show. Yeah, this is what, yeah, I was alluding to before. I mean, it goes to the, is it a Bill Hicks sketch? And he's talking about sort of the left and the right wing and saying that, you know, this the left the bring the right wing and like, we get the same bird, you know? Yeah. Um, so actually the right person I was thinking of, I wasn't actually thinking of Bill Hicks. I was thinking of Joe Rogan saying that. And that actually brings me a good point of the, the, the war against Joe Rogan in, in the States. So whether you um, agree with him as, a, as an individual or a personality, his right to express and create a format and, and a show and whatever else is, is self-evident. I, I, would, I yeah. would state to borrow the language of the founding, uh, founding fathers in America. Um, yet, he is now caught up in or was caught up in a war prior uh, a conflict prior to the outbreak of this war in, in Eastern Europe, um, where he was basically being called a terrorist for spreading misinformation. And it wasn't even that, in my opinion, that he was spreading necessarily misinformation. He was having conversations that were not even counter to the, the narrative, but were just discussing that this is only a narrative and opinions and therefore we're putting opinions into it, that having a mm -hmm. discussion and the fact that the American media were basically stating that we want to now classify this as terrorism is again, an incredibly dangerous thing because mm -hmm. again, with each, as you said before, we, we, we could take many steps forward, but it is incredibly hard for us to take them back. And I think whatever you believe in about whatever's happened with any of the main events of the past say, three years, the fact that there has been such misinformation from all sides and all, um, mm -hmm. all levels, levels, all all levels, all levels yeah. suggests that, okay, there is no real ubiquity of truth. And the scary mm -hmm. thing is there never has been folks. Yeah. And there, there wasn't this wonderful nostalgia of 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30, whatever you're thinking of, it didn't exist. You were less informed. We didn't know as much. We weren't able to spread about the corruption and the villainy um, that was prevalent in our society. The difference is now it seems so extreme because we all have smartphones, we're all hyper interconnected, and we can all document this at all levels. And there are billions of hours of content created every year of people just discussing and, and trying to observe and, and, and figure out what is humanity, what is our reality, and how do we convey what we're experiencing to another person without being politicized, without being polarized, without being ostracized for just going what's the weird pink thing in the middle of the room? It's like, it looks like an elephant. Did anybody? Did, do you Don't know you I mean? dare mention that pink <laughs> elephant. Yeah, it's, it's, it's and so again, it's, like, it's, what, what worries me um, is the legislation changes in the background that's going on that not many people are even aware of, talking of. Um, so while we're all being distracted by party gates and Boris Johnson having a party, um, while most people are hiding, carrying from fear of death in their homes. Um, are you going to talk about the police crime sentencing and courts bill? Well, I, I don't even know the titles of all. There's about five changes going on, if I can recall. We've got um, the police powers bill going on. We've got changes to the health and social care bill. They're trying to scrap the human rights bill and introduce um, the human rights, a British bill of rights and responsibilities. And that and responsibilities is, is like truly troubling. Like you, you will have responsibilities written into law as a citizen. No, uh, no that's not how this game works. We're all, we're, we're all born against our will. We're all kind of here. We all figure out, wait, what nationality am I? What, 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 what's a race? All right, I'll be that. What, what's a religion? All right, I'm that. What's a, this sexuality? I'll finally figure that out. We have to do, deal with that shit. 
fuck this idea that a government institution can then you, what is that you've had a kid all right it always made money for this yeah okay we'll deal with taxation yeah well now you want it to be responsible for for what they want to get rid of the human rights act and bring in the British Bill of Rights and Responsibilities, which they've been drafting quietly in the background through all of this. I haven't had, had eyes on it myself yet. Um, so what's that? That's three. Police and powers, health and social care. Um, borders and immigration. Rights. We've got, yeah, there's a borders and immigration. There's another one as well. I'm sure there's at least five pieces that are playing around with. But they're, they're pretty much, whilst distracting the public with um, circus shows about naughty politicians kissing their assistants or... You know, that politician actually ordered the mass murder of hundreds of thousands of old people through Midazolam, but we only talk about him necking with his assistant. Um, and then we've got yes. a prime minister that's lied through us and closed down parliaments and just deceived so many times, but we won't talk about his lies or anything. We won't discuss those things. It's like, I just can't get my head around everyone in this country, pretty much. Why would you listen to a known pathological liar that repeatedly lies to you and still do as they tell you? Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. Thank you very much. That's exactly what's happened. We have nationwide Stockholm syndrome. And I think it's, it's also, only because it's through, through a trauma, you bond. And I think that the first few weeks, again, when you were speaking of before, that your preparation of going, ah, I've seen zombie films. I know how to do this shit. They get yeah. some food. Let's close down in, in interaction with others and, and prepare for worst case scenario. Like, the first few weeks of that like the mainstream media and everything and everybody kind of had this attitude of no we're all going to try and do this we need to figure this out we don't yet know and the vast majority of people were at least in some degree like okay this could actually be a real thing this feels yeah. like the start of some crazy 90s action movie um let's let's try and figure this out but then very quickly they started tripping over narratives. They started just fucking shit up around like the, the tests being uh, accurate about what PPE was, was required about contradictions of whether you could then sit or stand or whether you're eating or drinking or like so many contradictory rules that a lot of the population just checked the fuck out. Mm -hmm. And then people have lived in this state of like of apathy of just kind of, I don't believe what's happening, but it's almost like an abused housewife. You know, you want to leave, you know, there's no love, but, you can't pull your own money together because they've furloughed you. There's no economy. There's no jobs. You know, you, you then you, you want to move in with, with somebody else. But obviously, then you, you physically can't because of, of, of the restrictions because of the current situation. Which, it's, again, restrictions that are all um, technically unfounded and disproportionate and infringe fundamental human rights. With, there was a report that came out recently that I'm not going to quote the, the statistic, but it basically stated that globally lockdowns had a very, very marginal effect on, on spread. Yeah. So it's, again, it's dis disproportionality. You're the same way that they went, oh my God, there's a few hippies in a park smoking some weed and taking some acid. They're going to take over the world. All right, tell everyone in the world about these drugs, then tell them not to do them, then surveil them, then raid the houses. Go. And, and then... It's insanity. It is the same thing to do with terrorism. Do you know, most, the vast majority of the global population were not aware of, of the Islamic faith until 9-11. Then 9-11 happens and the Americans basically go, we're going to go to war with this ideology. So thus put it into the lips and minds of, of the rest of the world. There is this in, in, insanity that whenever humans re react to something en masse like that with immediacy, we typically over-fucking-react. Mm -hmm. I started after... A couple of years of it all, I started to think of, well, I can't say it because it'll edit you out. Um, shit. 
I started to think of C19 as the new cannabis. It's a, a very genuine health risk to a minority of the population that has been exaggerated to apply to 100% of the population to be then exploited for political and um, corporate profits and control. That's what I think about it. I think that's a very concise way of putting it in, in an apt comparison, to be fair. Mm. I, I would, yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with that. Um, it can be extrapolated out from that, that there are other cannabises. That's a horrible way of structuring it, but if you follow in the sentence, you may be aware of where I'm trying to go with that. Uh, <laughs> out, out there, you know what I mean? There may be other things that have been tarred with the same brush or the same mechanism has been applied and i think that is that overreactive nature well, i think the, the actual the concept of the misuse of drugs act itself laid the foundation for the, the legislation because um the, the premise before misuse of drugs act the police couldn't just come in your house and raid you like that because you might have something in your cupboard they didn't like um they they took away our fundamental human rights to privacy and autonomy freedom of consciousness on the basis of protecting public health. So it's all upon the basis of protecting public health that our rights get removed. Um, and then, you know, talk about proportionality. Um, the figures should speak for themselves, really. But everyone's going to have a different view. Um, and I suppose it's... Indeed. I mean, there's going to be people that are obviously screaming the entirety of the time we've been discussing this. Um, and I sympathize with anybody with any opinion on this because you're still at the end of the day, a human having to live through this, regardless of what your consciousness and your perception is telling you about the reality you find yourself in sensitorily, physically, metaphysically, you are fucking here and present. And that is tough unless you are one of the few people. And even though I wouldn't say that there are few people that know what the fuck is going on. I think there is opportunism, cronyism, and corruption yeah, at, every, at every angle. If somebody announces, what is it? It's the, oh, come on, brain. There's an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and um, Mac and the others, they invent a group of, is it kick-ass or something like that? And it's basically like a cult. And the, a few of them clock on that they're making up what the leader's saying. And so they can like lie to the others and be like, oh, I just heard from the leader that we, we can do this. And that's what I feel like is happening is that there's a few people in, in positions of power and authority around the world that are seeing everything go to shit and are like, oh, we can just make shit up. This is happening here. And others go, yeah, it's happening here as well. Oh, and yeah, and hers as well. And, and do you know what I mean? And there's a few people that then offer incentives financially, politically, socioeconomically for you to inherit those narratives or, or maybe not necessarily exaggerate, but massage your statistics, your public's perception towards that narrative um but yeah I, I genuinely feel it is a bunch of just morons making shit up to make money and, and to feel more powerful and important to go down in history and to some foolish notion of, of legacy yeah well interesting um i feel when you mentioned the cronyism a few months ago i felt that our political leaders in our country at the very least have basically secured generational wealth for their offspring but secured generational poverty for our offspring um through their cronyistic contracts same as what they did with cannabis generations ago basically it's just like another thing but um what was the other thing i thought of them when you were saying that yes that was right i had to um bury my father recently or cremate him technically speaking he wasn't buried uh and whilst oh, dealing God. with appreciate that whilst dealing with the undertakers the funeral director 
it was, it was actually when I went back to collect his ashes on Monday last week. And um, as I was talking with the lady, uh, I suppose they do a bit of grief counselling briefly as they give back the ashes. They don't just chuck them back at you and off you pop like they That's go good. into your feelings. <laughs> they ask your yeah. feelings, you know, are you coping okay? I had a little chat and hugged my father's ashes and told her a bit about the complexity of my father and I's relationship. Um, thankfully, he's taught me how to be the dad I am. And um, interestingly enough, she said, oh, there's probably a book in that. And I said, well, I've already written a book, so that'd be another one. She said, what book have you written? I told her uh, The Fight for Rights and the Freedom of Choice, which is on Amazon, by the way, £10 and a penny, and free delivery. And... Um, um, I told her about the book and about it's all about the truth about cannabis, the way that we've been lied to by the government for decades, while they've been investing and patenting in the background, making billions of profit, whilst us plebs have just been put in prison, had our lives destroyed by prosecution, the brother's dead as a result. And uh, it was quite an impassioned conversation. And I taught her all about the endocannabinoid system and all about cannabis. And my, I could feel my dad stirring in his in his ashes like because I did that with him everywhere I went when he was alive. Anywhere he went, if it cropped up, I was educating people about cannabis and the way they'd been misformed. And he used to sometimes give me a little kick under the table, like, shut up, Phil, we're here about me, not you type thing. And uh, it was very much like that, collecting his ashes. And I told her all about the endocannabinoid system and everything else. And at the end of it, I actually told her how I thought the latest C word is the new, uh, the, is the, 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 the new cannabis. And, and I told her exactly what I thought. And um, bear in mind, I'm talking to a funeral director here who, in theory, through a deadly pandemic, should have been overwhelmed with bodies piling eye out the back. And um, I even said that to her. I said, you, I said, I said you, you haven't corrected me. I said, as an undertaker, I'd have expected you had bodies piling eye out the back of there. And I said, sorry for speaking so bluntly. And she laughed and said, no, it's all right, Mr. Monk. She said, what bothered me the most was these damn tests and the 28 days later. So she didn't see, there were, you know, undertakers didn't see this deadly pandemic. They saw a fraudulent recording of deaths. She should have corrected me and said, Phil, you're completely wrong. She didn't. She agreed with me. A body, a processor of bodies agreed with me. I mean, yeah, it's, it's difficult because the actions of lockdown made a lot of the other factors that would cause uh, death. Uh, yeah. Normally, I had this horrible way of describing it, but yeah, the, the predicted or expected yeah. deaths to Regular occur. Death. To, to occur yeah. yeah. Um, meant that, and it coupled with the fact that, yeah, anything within a 28 day sort of test. And then allegedly, we still have a clarification on this. There was a period where every death allegedly was recorded as COVID. Um, that went through uh, a hospital, uh, uh, an NHS-trusted um, facility. Again, allegedly, I'm trying to make sure I. this is just a narrative yeah, yeah. that's out there. I'm just saying this yeah. narrative is out there. Um, yeah, then there's obviously uh, what has been reported that there's 28 days, and they have publicly stated, that being the British uh, establishment, that there was an issue there, so I can say that quite freely. Um, but, yeah, the conflation of these things to state that it is or was as, as dangerous as it was is it's difficult because then the other side of it is the counter argument is yes, because of the lockdowns and because of the measures that were taken, it prevented X, Y, Z. And it's, it's one of those mind fucks because again, 
both realities to certain individuals are true, but also to yeah, yeah. realities, neither realities are true. Other people, other, neither realities are true. And it is one of these things that we live in a world now where I think everyone is arriving at the point of truly understanding that everything is fluctual. Everything mm-hmm. is ever changing. And you basically wake up as who the fuck you are and whoever you think you are and however you want to operate is what you've got. And that's wonderful in terms of the potential for every day, but it's terrifying for how quickly we can get disconnected and disillusioned and disenfranchised with our basic humanity and our basic, I would say, fundamental, but not legal obligatory Mm -hmm. responsibility to each other, which is to not be a dick. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? That's what you've got, really. You're born, kind of reduce your harm, you know, however you want to do that, environmentally, ecologically, you know, socially. That's that's the only obligation I feel that people have. But then, yeah, what they've tried to install basically since i would say the misuse of drugs act and the first idea of the went wait, wait you've actually just convinced what well, was population back then probably what 30 40 million people i don't have a that's that's probably a dramatic under exaggeration um <laughs> underestimation sorry but yeah what so that population they went from we have a couple of hundred heroin uh, users, we have a few thousand people trying cannabis here and there, and this mur- murmurings of a counterculture from America. And they, yeah, they got and installed this war on drugs and actually convince everyone that this gives them the right to get a piece of paper from a judge and kick down a door. Like prior to that, it was an act, it was only during warfare where yeah. the government would ever become come at you like that. The idea of these no knock raids of, of the police coming in screaming, armored up dragging you out of for your fucking bed and shit if that all to protect you i mean that's not even what they deal with murderers do, do you know what i mean until then again the escalation of this arms race of uh of community cr- criminals within the community and the policing authorities your bobby didn't have a stab vest back in day you know what i mean there were still dangerous people but you just brought five of the fucking coppers and the coppers actually knew this shit they were trained they were they were healthy. They were fucking, they had some muscle behind them. You know what I mean? And the community respected them. And when they came in and they were like, well, this guy's smashing his missus face in. People are like, fucking hour then. They'd go out and help. There would be that connection. Whereas now cops turn up to a place, especially in an impoverished region. And everyone goes, there's the enemy. There's the bad guy. That's, that's, that's the enemy right there. I think um, the war on people who use certain drugs has made the police the enemy of the people. Yeah. And the thing is, it's it's got nothing at all to do with protection, really. If I can go into any supermarket and fill my trolley with a poisonous, toxic substance that could kill me in one night if I consumed it all, how can this be about health and safety? Yeah, because even when it is, the health and safety in this country is superficial. So gambling, gamble away. When the fun yeah, stops, yeah. stop. Gamble. Al- alcohol, yeah. drink, drink away. Yeah, so here you go. He, he, we're going to sell you 25 litres of neurological, physical, and then toxic put the poison. liability on the consumer. That's what they need to do with cannabis. With all with anything. See, you're all gonna, drugs. You're gonna, all drugs. Dave, you want to jump out of this plane, do you? Fucking maniac, sign this form, will you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can, you humans, we're allowed to look at fucking Bezos and the other billionaires having a it's dick it's measuring it's contest with their fucking rocket ships. It's this, mate. It's psychological and social control. That's all it comes down to. It's acceptance of the idea of subservience. And I think in this country, without opening a can of worms, I think, yeah, I'm still going to stay anyway. Um, Without then abolishing the monarchy, we're not really going to get rid of this idea that there's somebody in this this country of ours that we were all just born in out of circumstance that is allowed to dictate to me how I live my life when I'm not causing harm to others. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's again. Interestingly, mention the monarchy because did you ever see the Tony Robinson um, documentary for BBC? What was it called? Time Timeline? Was it Timeline? Do you ever see the one? Tony Robinson. He used to be Blackadder, and then he went into archaeology. Oh, I know the guy. Yeah, um, time, time something. Um, Tony Robinson, his documentary, Timeline, Time Runners, something like that. He did an investigation into our royal bloodline um, and found out because someone naughtily pushed someone off the throne way back when, our monarch is not the true descendant, (laughs) isn't really our monarch, and our monarch is actually a sheep farmer in the middle of Australia. So technically our queen isn't technically our queen, allegedly. I'll buy it. I mean, I would go to the statement that our queen is not our queen because it's the pageantry. I mean, the way they've even yeah. cre- created the system is she authorises government, but ultimately there is no governing authority. The other queen doesn't wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to do this and this shit happens. It just It's not in reality how things occur. She uses private wealth and investment and obviously the links that she's established over a lifetime of being on a throne of what was considered to be, I guess, the last empire. Um, the yeah. Ben's about to go into the next. I don't know if you noticed, but we're having a bit of a power shift at the minute. Um, we've had the UK. Sorry, I've interrupted you. The, the, the USA was like the main power in the country, but you know, it's all being transferred. China's about to be the next superpower, but sorry, go on. That was wrong of me to interrupt you. That's all right. <coughs> I agree with the, with the, yeah, with the statement. Um, so yeah, but ultimately, yeah, I don't fuck basically, yeah, fuck the monarchy. That's a, that's a, that's that's my entire position on this is fuck the monarchy. I'm sorry, but I'm really I'm looking for somebody I would like a royalist on. I would like to be able to discuss this because then it will motivate me in the weeks leading up to that to really do my fucking homework and try and defend my position because a lot of what I stand for is basically on the the premise that the idea of subservience is wrong. I was taught in school of this idea of, you know, rule of the of the whip and of the iron fist and of this tyrannical leaders. And then the next lesson they were suddenly taught, oh, there's this wonderful lady and she sits on a gold throne. And every year we have to go, oh, thank you, your majesty. And, and I was like, Wait, what? You said this was over. There's thousands of years between this and that. Why is this still a thing? And all my life, it's this, this innate sense, as I said, that that is the idea of subservience is wrong, I believe in collectivism in that we should have systems designed and operated and owned by by the populace the people that use these systems so they are transparent and accountable whereas the the corrupt neoliberalistic capitalist system we find ourselves under that is propped up by these illusions of things like of monarchy and of free economics and the rest of it is just it's a farce. It's a farce, man. <laughs> and I think again, probably the reason that I'm fighting for drugs in the way I am is the drug subcultures that I've been lucky to be a part of, whether it be the, the third wave, the second wave of the, of the rave scene, uh, the free party scenes, you know, festivals, um, cannabis culture, you know, it, it's taught me that there are far more people that live outside of the accepted paradigm than, mm. do, than do within it. And more so every year, especially now with the recent events of this global pandemic and everything else. And I think that unity is, is coming in some small way, but I think, things are going to get worse before they get better. 
So I think that queen, unfortunately, she's going to die soon. That's just a reality. She's an old lady, and I don't wish her ill. That's not what I'm saying. I don't wish death upon anyone. Life is a beautiful, wonderful, miraculous experience, and may everyone have the longevity of it. Yeah, I want her the same as I do with anyone else, to die peacefully in her sleep, having had a decent fucking meal, cuddled her corgis, you know, maybe had an in-joke with the fucking guard or whatever bullshit she does that humanizes her at the end of the day but that we have a conversation. We're brave enough to have that conversation to go, can we end the magic pageantry? No one needs the little tiara and crowns anymore. Let's, let's deal with this. Let's really fucking deal with this. You know? That's yeah, they'll be, getting, they'll be getting old King Charlie lined up instead, would not they? It's, it's all just Which, that. if you look at his language, he's already subscribed to Klaus Schwab's Great Reset. So global, our, our, our king is a subject of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. Uh, our future king, sorry. This scares me because it then falls back to... Scares very, you, mate. I'm fucking if, terrified. Look, think, <laughs> uh, think just purely in the abstract. All I'm going to do here is speak as a hot take entirely off the top of my head here, so don't hold me to this in a court of law, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the comparison of... A, a king had to advocate in the last century because of direct connections to associations and uh, what's the word approval of national socialism in Germany, this being Nazism. I very much feel this is an inter- a hot take again, a hot take that there could be an argument for a comparison between the intentions uh, or what became the globalist intentions of the, the, the Nazis and what is the world economic forums or any other international institution that seeks to by force whether that be violence by the rifle or violence by economic sanctions or or other ways of forcibly altering overpricing for example energy costs so that you can't even afford to heat your own home and you can't afford to travel yeah, we've been what, outpriced of everything my I friend. feel yeah I feel that's again this might be quite a hyperbole comparison but I do feel like the next this global war we are in is not about a nation state taking a nation state anymore I think it's about corporate investor classes consolidating power and being able to um, yeah create more of these global bodies that mean that a handful of individuals get a state and create the narrative moving forward. And it becomes generational for some of them, like I refer to Trudeau again, I think his father was also in politics, and they become generational, some of these politicians and these corporates. You know, they literally securing it for their future generations at the expense of the rest of humanity in many ways. But it's, again, it's how do do these individuals know what's best for people? They are so disconnected. No, no, but they're not, no, it's not from the the average human. It's about what's best for them and their their cult. Their, you know, it's it's a cult of people. Like we, every um, uh, community that has its own culture. Do you know what I'm saying? I get. What you're if you look right, at the word culture, it comes from the word cult. Mm-hmm. So any cult has its own culture. If you have a culture, you're a cult. Wait, you get they, what have, I'm they have their own beliefs, their own hierarchy, their own right. Um, right. Yeah. They are their own community that is. Um, separate from the rest of the communities of the world and they're working in their interests not in mine and your interests but it then makes you wonder who the fuck is working in our interest and then when you actually answer that question no as one. i think a lot of us have yeah it's no scary one. it's 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 illegal. allegedly it's it's illegal. allegedly allegedly 
I mean, you can go into the whole satanic Luciferian side if you wish, and the whole <laughs> if you that, wish, that's... which I'm more than happy to because I've gone through every. I like to read all angles of an argument before making my decision on which side I'm going to sit on the fence. Um, and you know, if you take all that out for a moment, where was I going to go with that? Uh, oh fuck! Because that's two very hot words to leave as a <coughs> hanging in the air there. Yeah, it is. But it? yeah, but again, I, I kind of think of what you're saying. Yeah, the people that gather again, we've we've known this for a long time with the revelations when George Bush was in power of the Skull and Crossbone, the Skull and Bones, sorry, not Skull and Crossbone, Skull and Bones Society. And there were very been various movies and various bits of media and investigations, uh, journalistic investigations that have shown these connectivity, uh, these communities that create lifelong connections um, through uh, scholastic and academic institutions. And we're obviously seeing that with Eaton, say in the UK, you see it with sort of Harvard and, and, and the schools in America, um, where within this, you will then be effectively headhunted and brought to a, a private members club or a, an area where you will then make a pledge towards your brothers, towards this collective good. And it just seems that those microcosms have manifested over the decades and of deregulations in the, the decades that have followed Thatcherism and, Reaganism and Reaganomics, that they have managed to go from just being a bunch of drunken school kids, you know, in, a, in one of the private members' chambers doing whatever and planning world domination to actually having authority and power and influence planning and, the world domination. and the capability to actually fucking do it. And that, again, is a very scary thought and sounds very conspiratorial, but to me that makes far more sense than the reality that we live under, that good men are doing good things and it's just reality is this fucked. It's like, no, the collective intentions of most the vast majority of every individual i've ever met is decent it is they want to live a good life they want to explore what it is to be human they want to answer some difficult fucking questions they want to have some wonderful experiences they want to travel around and meet some other people and talk and interact and engage and be curious of life they don't want to enslave their fellow man they don't want to be a, a king or a fucking ceo they don't want to be they the obviously haven't been be... corrupted by greed then yeah and it's that's that's it feels like this is know, what this comes do you know, down do, to do, yeah do you know the analogy that's running through my head now it's going to show you how simplistic a child like my brain can be at times uh the, 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 the disney movie fern gully so oh, fern i don't know if you've ever seen it for people that haven't seen it below do do what i did uh, several years ago and take a shitload of mushrooms and re-watch it as an adult because it is brilliant and basically there is this wonderful forest full of all of these little fairies pixies and, and wonderful little creatures Robin Williams actually voices uh, this this crazy little bat guy. It's been modified and has like a little radio in his head. It's really hilarious. But basically, this the oil oil is sentient, and so these giant machines come to the forest and they're going to tear up the forest and and turn uh, uh, tear down the forest. Sorry, and mine for fossil fuels to create this crude to get crude oil. And the oil is sentient and it's evil and it's. That's what always comes to mind when I think of the greed that permeates humanity. Is that it is some almost not necessarily tangible but a metaphysical thing there's the only way i can think of it that infects others and it moves through a society and through a culture i think the native americans called it uh is it what i can't pronounce it. it begins with a w and i'm not going to try and butcher the pronunciation of it but it, it is it's this sense of it's this greed that it's this illness mm -hmm. and I, I think that that mindset has been metastasizing in in human culture for the past couple of centuries and through global conflicts and the consolidation of power and intergenerational uh, wealth and, and dynasty creation and, you know, cronyism and corruption at all levels and institutions has managed to finally create these, these tumorous cancers of institutions that have the ability to 
create a stranglehold against the nation, against the population to allow someone like China to think this is going to get me censored to commit their atrocities against the Uyghurs, you know, to, for, yeah. for, for, for what's going on with the, the human market slave trades in Syria after we liberated that country. You know, you look at what's happening now in Afghanistan. with giant I would love to correct that stark. statement. We didn't liberate anyone. Sorry, not we. Again, the, the Western world of which yes. I unfortunately find myself a member of. Yeah, thank you yeah. for correcting me. But yeah, there are countless atrocities. We could list here for an hour of other things that are occurring other than the one that we're told to look at right now as a distraction. That is obviously a humanitarian crisis, and that is a fucking issue and a conflict. But again, as we spoke before, we, we can't discern reality through any of this shit. Yeah. And anything they're telling us to think about or look at, to me, somewhere feeds back into that infection of that oil, of that greed, of that selfishness, of that, oh, I'm glad that's not me. We're good over here. It's like, yeah, it's only 2,500 miles away. What happens when it's 2,000 miles away? What happens when it's 1,000 miles away? Mm. when it's on your fucking doorstep it's coming whether it's infecting us through the 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 algorithms in our phones through the media that we digest through the food that we eat through the air that we breathe the water that we drink mm. through the conversations we have the connections we're allowed to make the employment we're yeah, allowed I mean, to get just... you know you you mentioned the air we breathe and the water we drink is the air we breathe natural air or is that being contaminated by philanthropic megalomaniacs what about the water we drink that's about to be contaminated with fluoride because they've deemed it's it's good for the poor people to have fluoride in the water to reduce cavities um you know Again, fluoride this... that's a neurotoxin to the human body and causes the calcification of the, um, the hypothalamus isn't it in the third eye it's yeah it, it... It's, it's, um, sorry, I had a call come through. I had to stop that. It's, we are, we are told these things are in our best interest and actually they're harmful. I think it's, it is. It's, 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 this is, that's the thing of it, isn't it? This, I determine, me observing you from a distance and afar, get to determine what is right for you. Yeah. Why am I allowed that? You voted for this. Oh, you didn't vote for me. Yeah. Everybody else around you voted for me. So I get to tell you what's right. That yeah. notion, that concept, again, with the subservience idea of monarchy is an, is an abomination to me. It is so for I have consumed cannabis for nearly 70. Jesus Christ, is that long? How old am I now? <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to figure out all the animal. Uh, so I'm 34. So basically, I have 15, 16 daily consumed cannabis, effectively, right? I know how I interact with this plant. I know how to engage with it. I know what I want from it. I know the relationship I, I choose to have with it. Nobody else gets to dictate that. Same with my food. Your job is to provide food, make sure the food is fucking safe. I get it's to have money, walk into a supermarket and go, look at all this shit. I can either make myself clinically obese, blow out my joints, give myself diabetes and, and knock 10 years off my life. Or I can even go the opposite way and try and make myself hyper fit and probably actually give myself cardiac arrest or something. Or I can just enjoy the spectrum of existence and go, you know, I fancy this. I feel this. The connectivity of the human body and its sensitivity towards its own desire is something that we have intimately lost. There's a, there's a vegan bodybuilder, I can't remember the name of, and I keep quoting him in the podcast, but he basically states that he doesn't run with the nutrients regimen anymore. He goes, if I need salt, I eat something salty. You know, if I want something fatty, I get fatty. My body, I, I feel I want something, I go, I eat the thing. I don't need yeah. the thing anymore. Once you get, you get body tells it, you. literally, yes. Yeah. So again, that idea that before governments, before think tanks, before health organizations, how the fuck did humans survive? Before the invention of the hypodermic needle less than 200 years ago, how did humans survive? How there is this disconnect from the reality of and the vastness of the history of what has made us humanity, of our revolution, that 
yeah, what can be bad for one isn't necessarily going to be good for the other. In fact, I would state that there is no one thing that is ubiquitously only one thing to all humans. Actually, that's not true. There's probably, actually, that's, I take that back. I take that back. Sorry. There are a lot of poisons and toxins out there that are just going to flat out kill every fucking human. That's not what I meant. Um, my point is to clarify that a, a behavior that a vast amount of people then engage in isn't then necessarily always destructive because then otherwise we wouldn't do it. Like we're not all drinking bleach because we know not to drink bleach because there's no fucking benefit to it and it'll kill us. We, we then know that actually we're jumping out of a plane. Oh God, that feels amazing. Or I give them a parachute. Do you know what I mean? You want to drive a car fast or is a seatbelt? Here's a, a fucking racetrack. Here's That's why I say it's all about um, social and mind control because like magic mushrooms, for example, DMT, cannabis even, although they put cannabis down as um, a psychedelic, I personally wouldn't say so, but they do. But anyway, these these um, um, ethanogens and other substances alter your state of consciousness and they alter your perception of reality and your way of thinking uh, and often in a way that is critically evaluative of the the paradigm the, the the life before you that often you'll think hold on a minute like you for example had it not been for magic mushrooms you might never have become a vegan yeah we know it was the LS, lsd experience LS, yeah, yeah so you know <laughs> was it not for that lsd you might not have become the vegan uh, so that that whole consciousness shift may or may not have occurred in you uh, so if you imagine from a, a government which means if you look at the the etymology of the word government it means to control the mind so if you look at the the corporation that is established to control the minds of the people they want you to use a substance that's going to make you as dull and dim-witted as possible because any mind is easy to control they don't want you to take substances that will expand your consciousness enhance your critical thinking and may you turn around and think hold on a minute that doesn't add up with what you said last week, Mr. Whatever. You're lying to me. They want you yeah. to actually have forgotten last week because your brain cells aren't firing properly because you had three bottles of wine over the weekend. Yeah, That's plus, what they want. Plus, yeah, plus the 24-hour news cycle and the forever scroll on various yeah. social media apps. Yeah. So, again, you know, this, this, we are, our, our fundamental rights to the freedom of consciousness to explore your mind as you feel fritz, as long as you're not harming anybody else is denied by all drugs legislation under the false pretense of protecting public health again, which is why I say this situation is the new cannabis again. Like, um, I don't even know what the answer is. Um, you asked me what's the future for WTU. I didn't have a group of people I could hand it over to to keep running it in my absence um, through health, um, death, trolling and, and disagreements of personal opinions. Um, my, my board had, had died, fallen out and diminished over the years. Uh, I don't know what future there is. Uh, without £500,000, there is no future, is there? Uh, simple as that. And I haven't got the physical health to pursue it anymore. So um, I guess that means there is no future, is a sad fact there. How can I have a future if I'm too broken? I can't even manage my own life, let alone a campaign. The only way it can have a future would be to create a board of other people to pick it up and, and run, run it. Um, but, you know, that could be corrupted in any kind of way. Sometimes it's better just to accept defeat uh, with grace. Um, and that's how I feel I've had to do. Um, incidentally, I'm still growing my own. Um, I've told my local council, my local police. Um, I've put all my, I calculated how much it cost me to set up and how much VAT I contribute to the tax office. 
And then I gave that to my care assessment, financial care assessment. They wanted to see if I needed to contribute to my 10 hours care that I get each week. Um, so I showed them how much all my growing costs set up were. And because I don't, they, they wanted receipts for prescriptions not provided by the NHS. So I phoned them and said, you know, drug dealers don't give out receipts, but I can give you this instead. Because um, I was sort of in between buying off the street and providing for myself. And then the second year financial assessment, I'd calculated my running costs for the soil, water, electricity and nutrients. So I then provided them my running costs um, to my local council, who have then factored that into the calculations and to even say, like, refer to um, growing costs sheet. So they've actually handled my data, referenced it, and they've calculated my growing costs like £36.68 a week or something, uh, which I'm, I'm terrified now because of these power increases. I might not be able to provide for myself if my energy costs go up too high. So that means I'm going to just be left in a whole world of pain and disability because the electricity is too expensive. I can't afford a private prescription and the NHS won't give it to me. So, you know, I'm actually quite concerned for my own personal future right now, let alone WTU or anyone else's rights. Um, I haven't got a clue, really. It's quite troubling. Um, but I, I've kind of just stood in my truth with everybody. I haven't told any lies to anybody. When I was asked, how do you manage your pain, Mr. Monk? I told them I cultivate cannabis. I make tinctures and balms and suppositories and butters and vape and smoke and I educated them and showed them a website and all the information. And so far, they've just left me in peace. And I just wish everybody else would be left in peace too. Um, yeah. that's, that's what bothers me most, like, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, mm. Without sort of inquiring too much, uh, LEDs, uh, potentially something to look at as a way of... LEDs what I use. I don't use HPS. Oh, never right, used, I've never been able to use HPS. Um, uh, what's that? High pressure sodium, in case people are wondering what HPS means. Hmm. HPS is like the street light bulbs, big orange light bulbs you have in the street lights or you're used to. Uh, they're too hot. Um, I've never been able to use HPS because of the heat um, problems. I've always used LEDs, which nowadays LEDs have got some good ability. The, the oh, chip on board, just... they're good. Um, I mean, yeah. I've just taken, I don't, I can't show you a photo in here, can I? The cola I've just had, like the fattest cola I've ever had in all my life. Um, fatter than my hand, like fucking nice. fat, fat, fat. Um, but it's not easy. Like I had a, one of them pollinated. I've had three cycles that have all seeded out. So I've literally had no flowers for getting on for nearly six months, is it now? Maybe mm. two, three cycles um, because they pollinated and turned everything to seed. And, and that's the problem, see, when you've only got a limited space and um, if something goes wrong, you're stuffed. And then that means yeah, months cool. of pain and suffering until you get it right again. Um which is why there should be shops, there should be clinics, should, you know, it shouldn't be the way it is. Um, yeah, there should be. <clears throat> I wrote to my local police and told them, you know, because my pain clinic did say I should have cannabis, but they couldn't give it to me because of the NHS. And they did say I shouldn't be criminalised for my actions. Uh, I kind of wrote to my local police and said, you know, I'm too poor to get a private prescription. I'm providing myself that which the law allows, but the NHS denies. Are you going to come and arrest me for being too poor? Um, and they did write to me saying we have to enforce the law without fear or favour. So I wrote back reporting the Home Office for Fraud, Conspiracy and Terrorism, gave them all the information, the WTU booklet, and said, well, OK, I'm reporting them for that. Go and investigate that, please. Uh, they said to me they're going to send all that to the Home Office. I said, please do. They sent it all to the Home Office, and I'm still at home doing my thing. 
Um, so the Home Office, my local police, my local council, everyone knows, but I'm being left in peace. Why? I also wrote to them, saying to them very clearly, I remove consent to be governed by legislation that is harmful to my health if I abide by it. Whether that has made any difference whatsoever, I've got no fucking clue. Hmm. Yeah, it's difficult. I think there is a, a situation for all where they say they have to enforce, enforce the law. They, and I speak of they as in all constabularies across the UK, are broke. This country is broke because of their ignorance and their inability to accept that we need a grown, a domestic growing uh, industry here in the UK that is taxed and regulated, they're going to continue to lose hundreds of millions of pounds a yeah. year. Yeah. They, there are people from, from Albania, Lithuania, from, from Russia, from other um, countries that are set up in this country, running people into the, into the UK that are setting up huge grows and mm. that are just undercutting the, the price of kilos in various cities around the country by several hundred pounds and putting people out of, out of business. And these are not violent dealers or thugs. These are people that grow to pay for their kids to go to school, that keep their electric on, they, you know, keep food on the table. The economics of this are getting really, really fucking skewed. So I think that prioritization means that somebody like yourself, they kind of go, shit, we know he's there. All right, keep putting it on the bottom of the list. So every day another bunch of shit goes and you're just, you're known, but the, so as far as they're aware and as their system, they, as I mentioned in the, the podcast with Carly recently, the system needs a step. They need to be able to be seen to be doing something, even if what they're seen to be doing isn't what they're actually doing. Mm. So if they, they can't just go, oh yeah, you're fine, we'll let you off. But they can do that without doing that by just, like I say, making it difficult for your case to come to the top of that pile. Yeah. And so that's where the, the discretion actually exists. But yeah. then they know the home office themselves, they're fucking are struggling with this, man. They are going to be inundated because you've got to then think of the other side of this. They are the gatekeepers to licensing. All of the already legalized territories or in some way decriminalized territories around the world that are allowing cultivation of industrial or medical or whatever you want to term it, um, they're brain down the home office door because they want to license. They're being inundated with, with applications. So they're seeing this from all sides, man. So it can't be long that this legislation holds true. But I like what, to think that. But but one, they, they, one thing I do well, want to say before we move on, because again, before we move forward, I don't think you failed, man. I think if you were then looking at the end result of what you wanted the WTU to do, I think that was a very lofty ambition and a, a noble one. But I think along the way, you didn't end on zero if you were looking at it from a binary zero to one yeah you didn't get a fucking one but you got you fucking moved do you know what i mean and the way i see it as well is i'm not dead yet hell yeah exactly man and just the so, fight is exactly that the fight just, the fight isn't over exactly i'm not until i'm dead i haven't lost <laughs> yeah man it's just i haven't won at this point um or even we because it was it stopped being i and it became we um you know yeah, but in that, uh, I imagine you've inspired a lot of people and you've, you've educated a lot of people and, and put others on their own sort of quests and journeys of, of curiosity to, to educate themselves and, to, right. and to, to play their, their part within this. You know, as, I, as I've said for a while, no one person, no one institution, organization or collective is really going to push this over the line. It is going to be a multitude of factors yeah. all coming together that, that 
that just get us past it. And ultimately it's going to be something quite what feels arbitrary. It'll be historic in the moment that it occurs, but ultimately it will feel quite arbitrary. It's not going to be some grand war that we can paint as this David and Goliath. It's quiet court cases. It's every day challenging that charge. It's every day being brave. And instead of hiding that joint, when somebody walks past and they yeah. mention something, challenge them, question them, be curious of their prejudice, you know? There's, there's many ways to fight. This is what I'm saying, basically. And yes, I don't, I don't think you failed at all. No, maybe failed in one part of the objectives, as in getting the government to the Supreme Court and, and getting the evidence reviewed and the legislation reviewed. Um, that In that aspect, it hasn't been, to this point, successful. But there are many, many other successes. When I had um, messages off people who said to me, uh, I won't mention names for confidentiality, but... Um, a, a lady I met at an expo um, who has spent a whole life feeling unworthy and um, a bad person because she used cannabis. Then she happened to meet me at an, an expo in London. Uh, I don't think I spoke at that one. I just met her and she came into the community. And from being in the community, um, WTU community, I mean by that, before we got deleted, she found herself worth. Um, she no longer felt like a, a real bad person and realised that her cannabis choices didn't make her a bad person. And now she promotes information about cannabis, trying to spread awareness. And she, she wrote to me thanking me for giving her a community, in essence, and for giving her self-value and self-worth and helping her realise, like I thought I was just a naughty little stoner, um, you know, for helping her realise that. And it makes the sacrifice and the losses such as my wife, uh, worthwhile. My, my, camp, my approach to my campaign and my dedication to it was detrimental to my marriage, shall we say. It wasn't the only thing that finished it off, but it wasn't contribute. It was a contributing factor. Um, and just, just I had lots of messages off people after we got deleted for the third time, I think, and I'd said, I can't do this anymore. People just saying, thank you for what I had done. And that gave it worth. It gave it value. Um, you know, I am, I am not a perfect human being and I have got things wrong. I am not infallible. I've only ever done what felt right at the time and tried my best. Um, I just wish we'd have been a bit more successful. Do you know what I mean? It all comes down to money. If you haven't got the money, you can't play. And after four years, clearly we're not going to raise it, are we? Do you know what I mean? Well, not under the current climate, it would seem, unfortunately. Not under the current climate. Uh, so yeah. we're starting to rehabilitate the health. Uh, get strong again um, and then maybe come back in the ring and start fighting again. Um, I'm hoping to get the books published um, by the tax year so that it will all be transparent and people will be able to see that me nor Rob have stolen anything and it's just been malicious rumours to discredit and destroy the good name of myself and WTU, which they've done very successfully. Um, you know, hats off to the trolls they did a fucking great job well done well done. They must, they're either got mental illness or they're paid to have gone to so much effort for 18 months for such a concerted effort and so focused and concentrated I don't think that's just someone sat at home twiddling their thumbs they've got an invested interest somewhere up the line or a bloody mental illness uh, I'm going to have to head off in a moment mate. we know um, that was that was how many hours we've been talking <laughs> It's a, it's a good, I think, what time we started? Two, yeah, a good two 10, hours. Six, half ten. That's what is no, it, was, half? it was half eleven. Oh, was it half eleven? Oh, that's not so bad. It doesn't feel so bad now. It's only half eleven. Well, yeah, it's not it? so bad. Uh, you, you've kind of answered my question there, and yeah, I can't really 
uh, comment, and I don't think it's fair really for me to sort of speculate. I, I do think it's unfair when anybody faces uh, prejudice and, and sort of undue reprisal online. Um, and yes. yeah, I, I do I appreciate you clarifying the position with that because it is something that um, I, I knew was obviously something going on in the, in the public sphere. Yeah, um, and if anyone has any questions regarding anything about WTU, just bring them directly to me. I'm available on platforms and I'm easily approachable. So any questions, anything at all, just anyone listening, just come direct to me. Um, I'll answer anything as best I can. I appreciate that. So I think you kind of answered my last question is kind of what does the future hold? Um, and I think yeah, you've, you've sort of you've answered that. Um, so yeah, I want to just just thank you for taking the time, Phil. It's always good to, to catch up with you. No problem. Happy um, to. I'll see um, you on episode 100 and something. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. And who knows what the update might be by then. Exactly, exactly. We've got to stay optimistic, but uh, hopefully... Well, if, I, if I get arrested, see, it'll have to go through a, a judge disqualifying, then it'll have to go to appeal, because how dare he disqualify facts from a hearing? That's abuse of power. Mm. So, you know, I need to be arrested, ultimately. <laughs> well, but anyway... Hope, hopefully, fingers crossed, Touchwood, that's not going to happen anytime soon, but if it does, I do not doubt that... Um, I'm as prepared as I can be. I used to live in fear of that day, whereas now I no longer live in fear. I'm as prepared as I can be. I have all the information I can and the determination to do it. Um, and I suppose if my next chapter of my life was prison, then so be it. That's the next chapter of my life and it might make a good book in the future. Um, you know, they will not fucking intimidate me, the cunts, the lying fucking bastards. That's all I can say to them. They're a bunch of lying, murdering bastards. They can all fuck off. They will not intimidate me. I will die first. Man, strong words. I can see why you want to write a book, but I do hope there is other motivators other than you being incarcerated, brother. Um, Hopefully so, not. So, yeah. I'd rather live free. <laughs> exactly that. So, uh, yeah, keep up the fight yeah. in, in your own way, man. And, um, yeah, we'll we'll speak soon. Uh, feel free. Yeah. You, can either, you can either jump off now or you can sit around and I'll do just, some housekeeping. Yeah, uh, if, if, if we have any successes on court cases, of course, I'll come back and give updates. Sweet. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. Okay. Right. Um, so end it if you like. We'll have a quick finish I, I together. Need to, I need to do some housekeeping. So, Down. Uh, Bless you, brother. Right. Keep well, my man. Take care. Speak soon. And you, man. Bye-bye. All the best. Well, thank you very much there to Phil Monk from WTU. Uh, they're going to be on hiatus, it would seem, for a little period while uh, Phil focuses on recuperation, uh, rebuilding himself, and, yeah, focusing on his health. I uh, really appreciate him taking the time there to discuss uh, what's going on sort of with the finances there, as that has been a question that I've seen floating around quite a bit in the public sphere. Uh, we touched on a multitude of other subjects, including uh, the dreaded C word, which is why you may see a couple of rough edits as I've taken it out, because it does seem to be affecting analytics and the performance of the podcast episodes when we mention such word, which, you know, is humorous, but ultimately we have to do what we have to do, folks. Um, so, yeah. Great as always. If you enjoyed that, please do check us out at patreon.com forward slash simple life on all podcast platforms and all social media platforms at the simple life. Do, uh, if you are listening on Spotify or Apple, give us a little rate in the bottom corner. Help us uh, bump us up a little bit. Help us fight against this shadow banning because of the nature of the content of these conversations. We'll be back next week with the wonderful Melanie Sykes, which may be a bit different from uh, what you were maybe expecting from my usual uh, guest clientele. Followed the next week by uh, the return of the legend that is Mr. Tommy Chong. Uh, the week after we have Dana Larson, who is another Canadian legend and a man that I cannot wait for you guys to meet. He has done some wonderful work within drug reform and activism up in Vancouver. So yeah, enjoy folks. Peace and love. Check you later.
Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode. Fuck, I've forgotten what number we were on. I ran it down. <laughs> this will go in the outro quite well. 